I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Psalm 121. Uh, this morning we're going to delay our exposition of the First Peter. Yet another week with a, a look into this wonderful psalm. And uh, what I want to do with Psalm 121 is give you a direction and vision for the new year. And I want to ask you really this morning, of how is it you're going to live in 2008? Psalm 121 gives great counsel and advice. Psalm 121, the psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this day forth and forever. Now, Psalm 121 is a psalm that's very special for me and for our family because it's a song that we have sung together as a family. And uh, in fact, just to, to show you a little bit about our affection for this psalm, I want to invite my family to come on up. It's a little bit different than normal. We're going to do a, a family sing. Now, we're not the Van Trapp family singers, all right? So this is not uh, like polished and everything. But I just want to show you just um, the joy that our family has had, and you'll see the, the fun. We've, we've written this song. And in fact, guys, I want maybe some of you guys over here and some of you over here. We have written this song and uh, put some motions to it. Oops. And you'll be able to see. How about you guys get over here kind of up so they can see. And some of you kids know this song. And if you do, you can sing along. All right. If you don't know, you can kind of enjoy it. It goes like this. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from when shall my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out. And we sing this, they run out of our living room and then they do this. And you're coming in from this time forth and forever. Psalm 121. Amen. All right, well, thanks for enduring that with us. Um, 
But Psalm 121 has been a, been a joy for us. It's been a psalm that we've just kind of uh, kept and adopted and uh, have, have come to love. And uh, if anything that I want from 2008 of the people of Rock Valley Bible Church, I want you to come to love Psalm 121. I want you to live Psalm 121 this year. Well, this is a question and answer psalm. The question comes in verse 1. And the answer is in the rest of the psalms. Let's look at my first point this morning at the question. The question the psalmist asks is, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come? The psalmist mentions the mountains here. He's almost certainly referring to the mountainous regions of uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city that was set up on the mountains. It kind of, in order to get to Jerusalem, you go up on the mountains and then it's kind of in a little bit of a, a plateau. And so as it says in Psalm 125, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. So also when you go up to Jerusalem, you ascend up the mountain and then you find yourself in the hills. And this is an appropriate question to ask because this is, as it says in the superscription here, and it's a song of ascents. That is a psalm of going up. And if you look back at Psalm 120, it says the same thing at the beginning, a song of ascents. If you look forward to Psalm 122, a song of ascents. If you look forward to Psalm 123, it says a song of ascents and keeps going. Where does it stop? Where's the last song of ascents? Who knows? Can you see it there? Write in your Bible real quick. Which psalm? Keep turning. Keep turning. Which one? Psalm 134. It's the very last psalm of ascent. Now, there's lots of theories about this, these 15 psalms, but I think the best theory is that these are traveling psalms which the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem used to worship the Lord. They would sing on their way up. The Lord commanded three national feasts for the people of Israel. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Feast of Passover. The Feast of the Harvest, which came to be known as Pentecost. And the Feast of the Ingathering, which is the Feast of Booze. God commanded in Exodus 23 that three times a year, all the males in Israel should appear before me is what Exodus 23 says. It means three times each year, every Jewish male and probably often Jewish families would go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And as Jerusalem was surrounded by mountains, any traveler, regardless of whether you came from the south or from the east or from the north or from the west, you always went up to Jerusalem. And so it's appropriate here for the superscription to sing a song of ascent. It's a psalm of going up. It's a, a song that was sung by the traveling caravans as they approached Jerusalem for their triannual worship. These songs would have certainly lifted their spirits as they would go. These songs certainly would have prepared their hearts for worship. And how appropriate is it for the pilgrims of this psalm to sing, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. That was their destination. That's where they were going. How often did the settlers who traveled from the Midwest over the Rocky Mountains to the California Gold Rush, as they went up and over the Rocky Mountains, how often did they look up to the mountains where they were about to travel? Often, daily. They said, we're going to travel up and over those mountains. And often does the mountain climber, she's climbing up a mountain, stop and gaze at where he's going. Often. And so likewise, these would-be worshipers walking up the hills leading to Jerusalem would have looked often at the mountains of Jerusalem. They would have noticed the contours and the shape. Three times a year, they would have recognized their path as they went up. And lifting up their eyes, they'd singing this song, it would force them to ask, okay, where does my help come? It's a great question for you to ask. It's a great question for you to ask this new year. 
fact, that's why I chose this text this first Sunday of 2008 because I want you all to ask your question, from where does my help come? Because each and every one of us are going to face various challenges and difficulties and temptations in 2005. You men who work at your jobs, you're going to face some challenges, some difficulties that you don't necessarily know, but they're going to come about, right? Chad, you're going to have some tenants that you're going to have to deal with, or maybe some electricity job, and Darren, you've got some engineering things, and Randy, you've got some people to take care of, and Andy, you've got some insurance to sell, Doug, you've got some parts to make, Eric, you've got some lawns to mow. We go around time and time again. Every single one of you men are going to go out and you're going to have different challenges. Some of you are going to say, I need a sale. I, I, I need more customers to sell my business to. Some of you are going to have conflicts at work. Some of you might even be persecuted at work for your faith. And then you take men at work, predominantly ladies at home. You might have some difficulties at, at home too. For those of you homeschooling with your kids, that's loaded with difficulties. Right? Amen? Amen. You just struggle how it is. And, and then you've got all the responsibilities to, to clean and cook and provide. And some of you ladies are, are even working outside the home on top of that. And then you've got those kind of worries as well. Kids, you have worries with school. right? You have homework assignments to do. You're struggling in your biology class. You have peer pressure perhaps at school. Then family. You never know which of your family members are going to come down ill this year. You don't know if um, you're going to have conflicts in the family because of the gospel. You don't know what's going to take place. Maybe someone's going to move or maybe one of your nieces or nephews are going to have some debilitating illness. You don't exactly know. Maybe something happens in the neighborhood or maybe nationally. Someone gets elected that you don't like elected. Or the, the primaries, the political issue. Or, or the world. You know, Pakistan and, and Kenya now and, and North Korea and Afghanistan. I mean, all, the, all these difficulties are going to come upon us. Maybe some of you will lose your job this year. Maybe some of you will be diagnosed with cancer this year. You say, oh, no, that's far off. I, I have a close friend of mine, 35 years old maybe. I, I don't know exactly how old he is. Diagnosed this week with cancer. You never know what's going to take place. Maybe some of you will be involved in a debilitating accident. I lose a child. Maybe some relationship gets destroyed. Some of you will maybe have financial hardship this year. Maybe um, you've got some choices about the future you're trying to make. Some of you deal with hardship in the lives of your children. Maybe some of you are at the point you say, you know what, maybe I just need to bag my marriage. Maybe some of you overcome with some particular temptation that will come upon you. Maybe drugs or alcohol or pornography on the internet that you're addicted to you just can't can't get out of it maybe some of you'll be robbed this year maybe you'll have some health issue now i'm not trying to be a prophet all right because that's doomsday that's bad stuff you want me just to switch to this microphone what do you want i'll just go to this microphone how about that that's just distracting to us all you ready i'm not trying to be a prophet in these things maybe 2008 will prove to be a good year for you I mean, maybe your business booms like never before. Maybe your family does very, very well. Maybe you're perfectly healthy all year long, never even getting a single cold. Well, you know what? Even if that's your situation, you're going to face difficulties as well. You're going to be tempted to be proud. You easily fall into the trap of self-reliance. And maybe you're going to um, have a reduced compassion for those around you. 
I mean, I don't care what 2000 brings. I could continue to come example after example after example after example. But in each and every one of your lives, there's going to be some particular challenge that you're going to face. Whether things go well or things go poorly, you're going to face difficulty and challenges in this year to come. And I just want you to ask the question, from where shall my help come? And I can't get exactly everyone's situation. I mean, time would fail us if I would try to find every situation you guys are in. And yet, I know in every single situation you encounter, Psalm 121 gives an answer of how it is that you ought to work through those difficulties. And the answer comes in verse 2, which is my second point. The answer is very simple. My help comes from the Lord. So whether you're facing difficulties at work, financial hardship, family struggles, whatever, health issues, my help comes from the Lord. That answers all of your questions. As the travelers traveled up to Jerusalem, hiking up this mountain, the sun beating down on them, thirst parching their throats, legs aching, fatigue setting in, they knew they needed help for the journey. They knew they would have needed help for the coming year. It would have been an easy answer for them to come up with. But notice that when they looked for help, they didn't just look to the mountains. They didn't look to Jerusalem. They didn't look even to the the church body there. They didn't look to the worshiping community. They looked beyond the mountains to the Lord Himself. And this is my heart for all of you this, this year, is that you'd find your help from the Lord. Find your help from the Lord. I mean, there's a way that we can face difficulties in this life and not turn to the Lord. I mean, when facing trials, we can easily turn to other things for help. I mean, think about it. When you get sick, you can turn to doctors. And when financial crisis comes, you can look for another job. When relational difficulties come, you can withdraw into a hole. When you have difficult choices to make concerning the future, you can try to figure out all on your own. When temptations come, you can try to just overcome them by sheer willpower. And you know what? These things may well help you. But with such a perspective, you'll be looking to yourself rather than to God. And I want your help to come from the Lord. Now, I'm not discouraging you from visiting the doctor, nor am I saying that you shouldn't be on the lookout for a better job. But what I am saying is your ultimate help in all these things ought to come from the Lord. And I'll be clear that's the case. About a year ago, John Piper uh, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. In the evening before his surgery, he wrote a brief article to his church family <clears throat> entitled, Don't Waste Your Cancer. Has some of you read that little article? Some of you have. It's a great article. And um, it's very insightful for us, especially as we think about Psalm 121 this morning. And here's what John Piper wrote. He prefaced this by saying, I believe in God's power to heal by miracle and by medicine. I believe it's right and good to pray for both kinds of healing. Cancer is not wasted when it's healed by God. He gets the glory and that's why cancer exists. So not to pray for healing may waste your cancer. But healing is not God's plan for everyone. And there are many other ways to waste your cancer. I'm praying for myself and for you that we will not waste this pain. And then he gives ten ways in which you can waste your cancer. And in each of these ways, he elaborated on them with a paragraph. I can't read the whole article this morning. But I'll give you the ten points. You'll, you'll get a thrust of what he's saying. He says this, You will waste your cancer if you do not believe it is designed for you by God. In other words, if you think this cancer just came upon you by accident, you'll waste it. Because your solution would just be another accident as well. 
but you won't waste it if you believe it's designed by God. Second, you will waste your cancer if you believe it's a curse and not a gift. How many people I have heard, I have spoken to who spoke about how how cancer was their just most greatest blessing. <coughs> I remember going to an Oakland A's baseball game and meeting a man who sat right next to me and we got to talking and things shifted to the Lord and he had throat cancer. And he had throat cancer for several years. It really affected his diet. And, and he said, that cancer has been the greatest blessing of my life ever. Because he didn't waste it. Because he found his help in the Lord is really what took place. John Piper continues, you will waste your cancer if you seek comfort in your odds rather than from God. And though John Piper had prostate cancer, 96% you know, survival rate, he said, there's no hope in that. Don't trust in that. Don't trust that, hey, I'm going to be okay, because in God's sovereignty, you could be the 4%. And then you have a false hope. He said, you'll waste your cancer if you refuse to think about death. That's what cancer does to us. Leads us to think about our eternity. You waste your cancer if you think that beating cancer means staying alive rather than cherishing Christ. Number six, you will waste your cancer if you spend too much time reading about cancer and not enough time reading about God. Right? Suck you away from God. And, and if cancer sucks you away from God, you've wasted it. Number seven, you will waste your cancer if you let it drive you into solitude instead of deepening your relationships with manifest affection. Don't withdraw. You waste your cancer if you grieve as those who have no hope. How will non-Christians look at that? Well, he's grieving just like the rest of us who have no hope. You waste your cancer if you treat sin as casually as before. Number 10, and you will waste your cancer if you fail to use this as a means of witness to the truth and glory of Christ. You know, that, that article really sums up my, my heart for you all as you face 2008. Your unique <clears throat> struggles will come upon you. Don't waste them. Don't waste them, but use them. Experience your help coming from the Lord and not from men. Now, by all means, I'm not saying exert yourself. I'm not just saying sit back and just do nothing. Rather, I want for you to pledge yourself this morning to put your trust in your trials so that all of your efforts are, are blessed by God and all of your efforts are seen as God helping you. You know, we could easily take the spirit of John Piper's words, don't waste your cancer, and change them into don't waste your trials. Let me just run through a list of ten things again. Don't waste your trials. If You will waste your trials if you do not believe it's designed for you by God. Because God brings things into our life to refine us and purify us. You will waste your trials if you believe it's a curse and not a gift. You will waste your trials if you seek comfort from the experiences of others rather than from the help that God gives. You will waste your trials if you refuse to think about death. You will waste your trials if you think that seeing your trial end is more important than cherishing Christ. You will waste your trials if you let it drive you into solitude instead of deepening your relationships with manifest affection. You will waste your trials if you grieve as the one who has no help. You will waste your trials if you see, treat sin as casually as before. You waste your trials if you fail to use as a means of witness to the truth and glory of Christ. I mean, you see how that fits there? 
This is my heart for you this year. Don't waste your trials. Don't waste your hardship. Don't waste your struggles. Rather, use them to display that, yes, my help comes from the Lord. Because the Lord is fully capable of being your help. As verse 2 finishes, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. If God made heaven and earth by the word of His mouth in six days, well then, certainly He can be your help in whatever trial comes your way in 2008. Just say the word and I'll be healed. God can just say the word and your trials will be solved. Your trials endure exactly as long as God wants them to endure. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12 when Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know if it was a physical ailment or somebody else. We don't know. But it was bothering him and he prayed to the Lord three times. Remove this from me. And every time God said no. If God said yes, the thorn would have been removed. But what was the issue? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For when you are weak, then I am strong. And that's my heart for you this, this year. Let's be weak so God is strong in us. So we might glorify God through it. Well, recently I've been exposed to a man named Paul Washer from the, the Landmans. And he's a, <clears throat> he's a director of Heart Cry Missionary Society, which their goal is to support indigenous missionaries who don't have to bother with the language difficulties can go out and minister and evangelize to their own peoples. It's not a mission agency. It's more of a mission society that seeks to help and empower those in other lands. And um, they don't have heart cry missionaries. They merely try to discern as God would lead them who it is best that they can support. In their literature, they've stated one of their foundational principles. They said this, every need of the ministry will be obtained through prayer. Now, it says they can, they can tell people what they're doing. They can tell people their aims and their visions. But they're not going to raise support through prodding or manipulating brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, Paul Washer says, If this ministry is of the Lord, He will be our patron. If He is with us, He will direct His people to give and we will prosper. If He is not with us, we will not and should not succeed. I love that. In this way, he's like George Mueller. Remember George Mueller who uh, built orphanages in England in the 1800s? Never once pleading for money, demonstrating of all the great things that can take place can be accomplished by prayer and faith. Just by pleading with God the great things. And he supported many, many orphanages in England during his day. Anyway, I heard this message from Paul Washer. He shared a journal that he kept during some of the most difficult days of his ministry. And uh, I've heard the message at least twice and have been stirred in my heart each time. And I want to just read for you what he read. And he was very humble when he did this. He didn't say he was going to bring in honor to himself. But listen to what he read. And, and it's, I could, you know, the whole message was 40 minutes of this kind of thing. I'll try to be as brief as I can. Probably about five minutes or so. Paul Ross writes, November 25th. <clears throat> Twice today we met for prayer. We are waiting for the mail, which usually arrives at 3.30. At the moment, we have $180.00. And six days remaining to provide support for the rest of our missionaries in 14 countries. I just received the mail in the mailbox. There was not one letter for heart cry. We must continue to wait for God's deliverance. We have nothing but his presence, but it is enough. A few days later, he said, we now have $185 in hand. We need 60 times that amount just to pay the men in the field for this month. 
We have two more days. We must guard against doubt, despair, and self-pity. Tomorrow's another day. We will look to God. November 29th, $220 arrived in the mail today. We now have a total of $405. Tomorrow is Sunday and there will be no mail. Monday is the 1st of December and most of our missionaries have not been paid and the staff has only been paid twice in the month. We are in dire straits and we've made our need known to no one. We wait upon the Lord. Our greatest interest is for His glory. November 30th, I preached at the Mexican mission this morning, but once again, they forgot to give the promised support of gas money. I was informed this evening that someone gave $150 to the mission in the morning service. We now have $555. Tomorrow's the 1st of December, and we have yet to pay most of the men for November. This has happened only a few times in the history of our, our mission, and never when the amount needed was so great. I can hardly bear to ask the staff to go another week without their salaries. I know that they will do it willingly, even joyfully. We are in the greatest need since our beginning. We will wait upon the Lord and see what tomorrow will bring. We have no reason to hope in the flesh. If help comes, it will come from the Lord. I spoke with my pastor today. He knows all our troubles and would cut off his right arm to help us. He knows the Lord has pressed upon us the prohibition to make our needs known even to our own church. I know that every person in our church would come to our aid if they knew that there was such a problem. I even know several people throughout the country who would gladly meet our every need with one donation. But the purpose of our mission is to depend upon the Lord alone. He is our patron. If He wants this mission to continue, He is faithful and able to let His people know. If He does not help, then we should not be helped. Although we recognize that God is His hand upon us, we know that He does not need us. If the heart cry missionary society perishes tomorrow, it will not hinder God's great work on the earth. Then he tells of several days. December 1st. When I arrived in the morning, Darren told me someone had given $100 in the Sunday evening service. Now we have $655. I was thinking again about how the mission where I preached on Sunday had failed to provide the promised gas money for the last three weeks. They are wonderful believers and would do all in their power to help me. It seems the Lord has made them forget. He's drying up every well dug by human hands so that He alone may be our only fountain. Then a few days later, he writes this, December 3rd. This morning, Charu, my wife, uh, called about the medical bills of our son Evan. To our astonishment, they were all paid by someone who wished to remain anonymous. We told no one of our bills. We do not have the faintest idea of who God used to bless us. It's a great encouragement to all of us at the mission. God is able to tell others of our needs. I went to the mailbox today and was blessed by the Lord's kindness. The donations totaled $2,500, and now we have $3,100 for the missionaries. One dear family that sponsors us for years, $1,000 a month, sent $2,000 for November and December. It's not the first time the Lord has directed them to give what was needed most when it was needed most. Another blessing came from the Mexican mission that had not given gas money for three weeks, they sent $150 that was given to the mission. At 5 p.m., Darren made a, a deposit. And he speaks about giving money to Nigeria and a church in Via Salvador. They've constructed. He said, a few months ago, we gave our last $1,000 so the construction of this church might continue. It might have seemed foolish to many, but seeing the people gathered in that simple building in order to hear the gospel is reward enough. December 5th, we were greatly blessed today. The Lord provided $2,770 to the mail. Someone gave John $20, which he gave to the mission. Our total now is $3,146. Darren was able to send the support to Zambia. 
We close the day with $1,700. We lack nearly $4,700 to pay the missionaries in Romania. Darren, John, and I will not be paid again this week, but the Lord has seen our need. A dear family in the church sent groceries to the office today and gave each of us a Walmart card to buy more groceries. In the end, we will have more supplies in our home than if we had paid our, been paid our salaries. God has never given us a reason to doubt his character, his promises. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. What grace, he writes. This is wonderful. He declares the wicked righteous by the blood of his dear son. He prepares good deeds for them by his sovereign will. He empowers them by his Holy Spirit. And then he rewards them for what they have done as if they had done it. What grace. Oh, what marvelous grace. In such grace, we shall wait upon him. We lack $4,000. December 8th, $655 came in over the weekend and $1,500 came in the mail today. After paying bills, we have $3,000. December 9th, only two checks came in today, one for $50 and the other for $4,000. Praise God, that gives us a total of $8,700. After paying Romania and several bills that were due, we were left with $644. The support for November has been paid. And this journal goes on and on and on and on like this of just trusting in the Lord and saying that the whole purpose of our ministry is that God would be glorified. We're not going to ask. Now, it was perfectly fine to ask, but they said we're not going to so that God will move the hearts of men through prayer and prayer alone. I think that's what Hudson Taylor used to say. Now, I know that all of you aren't called to faith-based mission like this, and I know all of your circumstances are different. But my desire for you in 2008 is that you might so live that all of us might be able to say, my help comes from the Lord. Now, throughout the rest of the psalm, we see the promises that God has given to be our help. It's really our third point. We've seen the question, the answer, and now the promises. And they come in verses 3 through 8. And they come in, in rapid fire. And they're repetitive. And they come one on top of another. But they all get back to this main point here in verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. This word translated keeper is a very common Hebrew word. It's shamer. Anyone who studies Hebrew knows shamer real quick. It's one of the very first vocabulary words you learn. It can be translated with a bunch of different English words, but they're all getting at the same meaning. It can be translated keep or guard or watch, protect, retain, preserve, refrain, or to care for. It's got the picture of one surrounding something else to guard it and protect it. And we can use different words to translate that. In fact, even here in Psalm 121, it's used several different ways. Most often in the New American Standard, it's translated keep, but other times it's used as protect or guard. In fact, look, it's used six times in this psalm. Verse 3, He who keeps Israel will not slumber. Verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, The Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, The Lord will keep you from all evil. That is, He'll protect you. He will guard you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will keep or guard your going out and your coming in. If you write in your Bible, like I would encourage you to, circle all those times because that's the theme of the psalm. The Lord is your keeper. Where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord who keeps us and guards us and protects us. That's the reason why we can say, my help comes from the Lord. 
Well, let's look at these particulars. Starting here at verse 3. He will not allow your foot to slip. The imagery here is taken from one walking down a path, stumbles in the way. Now you parents know what I'm talking about. You have a child, this toddler just begins to walk and you take them up to Rock Cut State Park and you start walking through the trails where there are rocks and stones and dips and tree roots, everything to, to trip up this newly this new walker. And so what do you do as a parent? You reach down with your hand and you grab your child like this. And when the way is difficult for their little feet to negotiate, they begin to stumble, what do you do? You go, whoop! And they go like this and they kind of turn sideways and they start floating and they say, where'd the ground go? And then you, you drop them down and then they get their footing again and they walk along the way. And try as they might to, to let go. And so, I don't need you, Mom, again. I don't want... Well, it's impossible for them to stumble because you won't let go of your grip. They can let go. They can have open hands. You're going to grab their wrist. You're going to grab their arms. So the next time they stumble, they can woo, float again. Well, so it is with God. God will help us and cause us when the trials are coming to, to float over the trials. The psalmist here isn't talking about skinny your knees. He's talking about metaphorically. He's not going to allow you to slip to harm yourself. He holds us up with his hand. Won't let go. The scripture uses this word picture several times throughout scripture. In our, our, our prayer meeting today, early beginning of the service, which, by the way, I invite all of you to. It's open to all of us. Really set your heart for worship. It causes us to be like Paul Washer. So that God gets the glory for what he does in him alone because we prayed for those things. Gordy shared, read from Psalm 66. He does not allow our foot to slip. Psalm 94, verse 18. If I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness of the Lord will hold me up. You're saying that God will hold me up. Now, this promise here that God will not allow our foot to slip is not true of the wicked because the wicked will slip. You remember when Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon? Enfield, Connecticut, 1841, I'm guessing. Sinners in the hand of an angry God. His text was from Deuteronomy 13, 32, verse 35. Speaking of the wicked, in due time, their foot will slip. But the context here in Psalm 121 is that for those who find their help in the Lord, God will protect them and keep them from slipping and oh, it may be close, like Asaph, who said, My foot almost came close to slipping, Psalm 73. The promise here is that God will not allow our foot to slip. It's a promise. It's a promise of how it is we can find our help in the Lord. Paul's promise to the Corinthians echoes this thought. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation, we'll provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. That's God protecting us, keeping us, making sure we don't stumble. Have you ever thought about how it is that God can, can make sure that a, no huge temptation comes that is so powerful it overcomes us without providing a way of escape? It's only because He's a sovereign God who has complete control over everything in the universe. He can make sure that temptation never comes upon you more than you can bear. And He knows your tolerance, Ray, 
and he knows your tolerance, Greg, and he knows your tolerance, Maria, and Jody. He knows your tolerance and can bring the temptation and knows exactly how far he can, he can go. And often in his grace, he doesn't even begin to go that far. And, and though to us it might seem, oh, this temptation is so hard, it's overwhelming. Right? When you trust a sovereign who made heaven and earth kind of God, you can say, my help comes from him, and he'll be able to protect you and keep you from that. So will you trust in God this year as your helper? Will you trust in Him? You're asking that question. I don't want you to say, yes, I'm going to trust Him in your willpower. I'm asking you to say, no, no, no. I'm going to trust. And God's going to help me trust. Because where the truth be known, the Scriptures clearly teach that our faith is a gift from God and our trust is a gift from God. And so we need to plead Him, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief so I can believe and trust more, right? My prayer for you as a pastor is this Psalm 115 O Israel trust in the Lord he is their strength their shield O house of Aaron trust in the Lord he is their help their shield you who fear the Lord trust in the Lord he is your help your shield the Lord has been mindful of us he will bless us he will bless the house of Israel he will bless the house of Aaron He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. That's my desire for all of you. O Israel, trust in the Lord. Be able to say, my help comes from the Lord. We see another promise coming here. The second half of verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. That is, God's always on the alert. He's always watchful. He is ever looking out for our good. This is a contrast to the pagan deities who are known to sleep at times. Maybe you remember the story of Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel when he's challenging the hundreds of prophets of Baal. He said, let's have a contest between my God and your God. Let's, you guys pick two ox. You choose one. I'll take the other. Cut up your ox. Place it in wood. Put no fire under it. I'll take the other ox. I'll cut it up. Lay it on the wood. I won't put fire under it. And then you call upon the name of your God. And then I will call upon the name of the Lord, that is Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Now, when the prophets of Baal had done so, they set that up and then they called upon the name of Baal from morning to evening saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. And when God, and he didn't answer, they started dancing around and they were on the altar. It says they leaped about the altar, which they had made. 1 Kings 18.26 And seeking to stir up Baal, respond with fire. No fire came down to burn the sacrament. Not even a spark was visible. And then Elijah said, How about you guys try calling out with a loud voice? Maybe you need to wake him. Speak louder! Speak in unison! Baal, come! He said, well, maybe he is um, occupied or gone aside. I'll, I'll try to be careful with this. It means maybe he went to the restroom. And he's indisposed at the moment. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe Baal isn't here in Mount Carmel, but you know, maybe he's in Assyria. Or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. That's why you speak loud. But what may have been true of Baal is never true of the Lord. He will never fall asleep on his watch. He will never fall asleep at the wheel. He's 24-7, 365, 24 hours a day, 
seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. And, and the truth is reinforced here in verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The psalmist here is making the point, saying, Behold, look, pay attention to this. And then he repeats it, the same thing. The one who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God's the faithful watchman who will not only warn us of the impending danger, but, and here's the good news, he'll play an active role in protecting us and guiding us and guarding us. And we come here to verse 5, which is the the key, the heart of the psalm. The Lord is your keeper. It's the core of the promises that God has given us. God is our help because he's the one that helps us and guides us and guards us. And church family, I want you to experience this. I want you to know this. I want you to know the protecting hand of God upon your life. I want you to know God is your helper. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Let's try it. Let's all say it together. From where does your help come? That's right. That's what I want for 2008 for Rock Valley Bible Church. We'd be those who find our help in the Lord. Well, in the last half of verse 5, we see how it is that God keeps us and how it is He helps us. He says, The Lord is the shade on your right hand. And how appropriate was this for those in Israel marching up the mountain? See, the climate of Israel is about like the climate of Los Angeles. It's built upon a desert. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have visited Los Angeles. How many of you have visited Los Angeles? Some of you, how many of you have lived in Los Angeles? Okay, yeah, way back there. California, great, Preston. Um, you know, during the summer, Los Angeles is pretty miserable. It is hot outside. If you stay inside, it's pretty cool. But it's a desert outside. It is, it is hot. And the smog makes it miserable. All right? It's not the place to be. I spent a, a couple years there. Avani spent five years there. Yep. Adriana, how long did you spend in Los Angeles? San Diego? 20 years? My pity upon you. <laughs> But that's how it is in Los Angeles. You know, and for those of you who visit Israel, you know how it is. In the morning, you get up before you go on a tour. You fill up your water bottles. Fill them nice and full because you know you're going to need them. And you get a hat so as to protect your, your head from the sun. You get some sunscreen that you're going to put on your face because without that you'd probably be burned. You get some sunglasses because the glare sometimes is really hard. And then if you're touring, you get in this air-conditioned bus Right, Mark, you've been there. Air-conditioned bus. You go to this place and then you get out and whoof, this heat just kind of comes right upon you. And um, particularly if you go to Masada or Jericho. I remember being in Jericho and it was like 120 in the shade. It was a hot, hot place. When you arrive back at your hotel, all your water's gone, your energy's spent because of the heat of the day. And so think about these travelers, pilgrims traveling up to Jerusalem. They would have experienced the same thing, but hiking uphill in the heat. If they lifted up their eyes to the mountains, they would have looked to the hot sun. Their, their throats would have been dry and searched for water. Their bodies would have been beaten down by the sun, and shade would have been a huge blessing to them. They would know what God is talking about here. The Lord would be the shade on your right hand. Remember, remember when Jonah finished preaching in Nineveh? He got outside the city because so he could watch God destroy the city. And he, he found himself a nice spot of shade and it says that in the, in the Lord's kindness, God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to be a shade over his head and to deliver him from the discomfort. 
And Jonah, it says in Jonah 3.6, was extremely happy about the plant. For those who live in the desert, you're very happy about any shade that's provided. And that's what God has promised to those who trust Him. He will be our shelter. He will protect us. In fact, it's repeated again here in verse 6. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. And really, the application here for us is, is towards the Lord's protecting hand over us physically. Because God cares about our bodies. God cares about whether we are hot or cold or sick or bruised. When the widow had no resources to pay her creditors, the Lord continued to fill her vessels with oil to pay her debt. He knew the distress there. When Jonah was in the belly of a big fish, God heard his cry for distress and saved him. When David was in the cave, God heard his cry and delivered him. When Jesus walked along the earth, he paid special attention to those who were hurting physically. All kinds of diseases. Because he cares about us and he'll protect us. He'll be our umbrella to shade us in the summer. He'll be our coat to warm us in the winter. He'll be our shelter during time of storm. God will protect us physically. But in verse 7, we transition now, not only just physically, as in verse 6, but morally. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. First teaches the perseverance of the saints. And I want you to see how it is. It's not so much that the, the saints are so strong and capable of persevering. Rather, it's that God is so good at preserving until the end of the final day. That's why many call the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is really the preservation of the saints. Because it's God who keeps our souls. Listen to Jude's benediction. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to make you stand in his presence blameless and with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory and honor and power and dominion before all time and now and forever. Jude's talking about God's protection upon us spiritually. He will keep us from stumbling. He will keep our souls. Because Jude's mindset is on the eternal day. He'll make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless and with great joy through Jesus Christ. Because He's paid the perfect sacrifice. He's paid the debt that we owe. And He's made us holy. And that's why we can trust in the keeping power of God. Jesus says, All those who believe Him, all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. It says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I will give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It's the preservation of the saints. God will keep your soul. When God has His arms wrapped around your soul, the promise here is Psalm 127, 21 verse 7 is that He's going to keep your soul. He's going to protect it. He's going to guard it. He's going to guide it. And and like a child, a young child, as they get older it's more difficult, but as a young child can't open the grasp of his father's hand, so also no one is able to snatch a believer from the father's hand. That's what verse 7 is talking about. God will keep and protect our souls. In recent months we've been going through First Peter chapter 1. It speaks about his glorious inheritance. Remember this? It says we have this inheritance reserved for us, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Here it is. It's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. There it is. God protecting and keeping our soul. And He does it through faith. And that's what Psalm 121 is about, right? Where shall my help come from, church body? 
believing and trusting. If we believe and trust Him, He's going to keep our souls. The prophet Jeremiah said it plainly when he said, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his own strength rather than trusting the Lord. Blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, but cursed is the one who trusts in himself because such a one will experience a turning away from the Lord. So church family, I just say, make the Lord your help in 2008. Seek Him early. Seek Him often. Trust Him and He will keep your soul. I love how this verse ends. Verse 8. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in. What a great picture when my kids ran off over there, right? He'll guard your going out on the way out. He'll guard your coming in. In fact, I had to tell some of the kids, okay, now when you run out, make sure you miss the cord and go around the speaker and don't hit the speaker. And God will guard you when you go out. And He'll guard you when you come in. It's just talking about life. Maybe you remember Deuteronomy 6. These words of mine should be on your heart. You talk of them when you walk by the way, when you sit down, when you rise up. Wherever you're going, whether you're going out, whether you're coming in, just wherever you are, God is going to protect you. But not only in space, He's also going to protect you in time. From this time forth and forever. So whether it's today, or whether it's tomorrow, or it's next week, or it's next month, or it's five years down the road, God will protect us and guard us. He will keep you going out and you're coming forth. He will guard you. He will protect you. God never gives up on us. His watchful care will always be upon our lives. Hebrews 13 speaks it several ways. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, says the Lord. Right, Becca? I know that was a big verse for you when you got leukemia, right? I said a little different version, I think, right? The Lord will not forsake... Well, how does it say it? Your version, you know? You're stuck. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. I remember, Nancy, you telling me that that's one of uh, Becca's first responses when she heard about leukemia. She said, that God won't ever leave us or forsake us. It says in Hebrews 13, verse 6, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? The answer is nothing outside of his control. He's going to keep us and protect us. And so, church family... Will you trust the Lord in 2008? Will you find Him to be your help? My prayer and my desire is that you would. Let's pray. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing your grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. So God, seal our wandering hearts. Seal it for your courts above and protect us and guide us and guard us through another year. Amen.